up here with all this stuff. Ed, I will run that over. I, I can kick that. I will run that over. You pick it, pick it. Yeah, right. Um, good morning. This is, I know all Sundays are special, but this is like my second favorite Sunday morning of the year. Um, thank you to our kids who aren't in here, but our musicians, they did a great job. Express your thanks to them. They did a wonderful job. And thank you to you for participating in worship, so it's not just like a big performance up here. You actually had a big part in that, too. Um, it's the Sunday before Christmas, and let's be honest, our world is a mess, right? It's Sunday before Christmas, and our world is a mess. Um, there's sickness ravaging people. Um, either you're at the point right now where you're just getting over being sick, or you're on the verge of being sick. Have you figured that out? And it's, it's affecting some of our families pretty closely. It's affecting my family pretty closely right now. We got family members who are really sick and in the hospital. And, and I just look around like, this, this world's a mess. And on top of that, um, what is that? We had a tornado that traveled like 200 miles on the ground. Um, we got nations that are in conflict. We got, we got all kinds of problems. Just don't even pay attention to what goes on in Washington. And we've got a mess on our hands, and yet the message is, you look at these Christmas trees, and oh, they're so bright and cheery and so happy, and the message of Christmas is joy, peace, and good cheer, right? And the two pictures just don't seem to fit very well together, do they? They don't, they don't fit very well together. Go ahead and admit it. It's not always the most wonderful time of the year. I was thinking, and, and I can't help but hear that song that, that the, the team played for us this morning, Come All You Unfaithful. It's one of my very favorites. But I was thinking as they were singing that, Christmas is really hard for some people. It really is. It's painful. It's tough. And Christmas seems much like what is described in my very second favorite Christmas story. We read my first favorite Christmas story, but my second favorite Christmas story is a Charles Dickens Christmas Carol. Anybody else like that one? I read it every year at Christmas time, and I make sure to watch at least a couple versions of it. But as Dickens was writing in A Christmas Carol, he has Scrooge say this, and there are some people in this room who resemble Scrooge. You know who you are. Scrooge says this, what is Christmas? It's a time for paying bills without money, a time for finding yourself a year older and not an hour richer. And some of us can resonate with that, right? We all have bills that we don't have money to pay for, but we all find ourselves this year another year older and maybe not an hour richer. And yet, when we go to Luke chapter 2 and we read the story of Christmas, there's real hope there. there. There's hope that every single one of us needs to hear about. And let me be clear, the true story of Christmas is full of hope. It's full of joy and it's full of peace because it's the story of how the Son of God entered into the world, a world of His creating, became a baby, and ultimately became the Savior of the world. Now, we've already read Luke chapter 2 this morning, but I invite you to turn back there again this morning. And, and I want to say this to us this morning because I, I want you just to, to understand where I'm coming from this morning and where we're coming from as a church. The reason that I'm having you turn to God's Word is because 
I know for a fact that this is God's revealed word for us. This is the most important book ever written in all of history. This is God's word that he spoke out so that you and I could read it, so that we could know it, so that we could have our lives transformed by it. If you came here this morning to hear me speak pleasant platitudes about Christmas, I'm sorry to disappoint you. I'm going to preach to you out of God's word this morning because that's where the hope is found. This is the most important message in all the world, God's word. And so this morning, it's really important to us what God has to say about that first Christmas. So we already read it, and in the first seven verses, we have, we have just the kind of, if you will, the, the, the Reader's Digest version of how Jesus was born, right? We have, we have the circumstances that change the geography. How is it that Mary and Joseph end up being up in Nazareth, and they end up all the way down in Bethlehem? Well, we find out that just like in our day, they had a problem with taxes in their day. Okay? I know it's Christmas, we're not supposed to think about taxes until, until January, but, but make no mistake, April 15th is coming. And just like April 15th is coming for us, they had to pay their taxes too. They had to pay their taxes. And the way that they knew who they were going to tax was, is every once in a while the Roman government would, would totally throw the nations under their authority in, in total disarray by making them go and be counted in their hometowns. Well... Mary and Joseph are from the town of Bethlehem, the city of David, and they have to literally travel some close to 100 miles from Nazareth down to Bethlehem with Mary, you know, probably eight and a half months pregnant. How many want to do that, women? You want to do that? You don't even want to get a car and go 15 minutes when you're eight and a half months pregnant, do you? So they travel down to Bethlehem, and what we have described here, quite honestly, is about the most normal of births that you would experience during this time. Now, I know that we have this romantic notion in our head because how many of you have a little manger scene in your house that you put up? Like one of these things right here. And it looks so romantic, doesn't it? It looks so wonderful, except if you were there, right? Okay? And we all have these pictures, and I mean, we even put up these stickers on our wall that picture this cute little manger scene. The reality of this is, is our Bible says it's an inn. Most likely, that room for inn there in verse 7 means upper room. It's the same kind of upper room that Jesus was in the night before he died. And literally, probably what's going on here is Mary and Joseph went down to Bethlehem. They have some relatives who still live there, and there's no room up in the house for them. They're probably down in what we would consider to be a garage. It's where the animals are kept. And so Mary and Joseph are staying down on the first floor of this house, and and she gives birth, and and we know it's a very normal birth because she wraps her baby in swaddling claws, okay? That's what all middle class and poor people did during that time. Babies are born, they just wrap. This was a very ordinary birth. And so here we have Jesus the Lord of all creation, the Son of God, entering into our time and space, doing it in the most ordinary of ways. We'll get back to that in a little bit, but that gives me hope, because I don't know about you, but I'm a pretty ordinary Joe. And so we, we get the details of this humble birth, but this humble birth gets a really big heavenly announcement. When was the last time you got a birth announcement that was mailed to you? In the day and age, in the day and age of social media, when, how do you find out about when someone's born? Like there is like a million pictures on Facebook. 
and, 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 all the, and all the wannabe moms and all, the, all the, the friends of the women are all getting on their Facebook page. Did she post any pictures yet? This most notable birth of all time is announced by an angel to the most unlikely of people. Okay, If you are going to send the Son of God to this earth, if you and I are going to announce that, I mean, we would take out billboards, we would rent TV space and radio space, we would announce that thing big. God chooses to announce it to a group of low-class workers called shepherds. The most unlikely of people, these poor lower class men, they're not rich, influential people. They have, they have no say on what's going to happen in the world. They're just keeping sheep, and God chooses to announce it to them. But we know it's notable because God sends an angel to do it. When was the last time you spot, talked to an angel? Not, not the kind of angels that, that we picture at Christmas time, cute little like baby-like faces and, and, and little, little tootie horns in their mouths and things like that. We're talking about fearsome angels, warriors of light, that whenever they show up, you're like, ah, what was that? But I want you to hone in on verse 10 with me as we get started in this chapter. There's, there's important words here. Again, who's the message to? Who's the first message to? It's a group of shepherds, right? Okay? People that you and I, if, if we were back in that time, we could identify with shepherds. Okay? Shepherds would be salt of the earth kind of people. They were, they were what we would call good dudes. Okay? And, and notice in verse 10, the angel said to them, fear not. It's easy for you to say, angel, fear not. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for who? For all the people, but yet I'm telling you first, shepherds. For all the people. So in other words, what this angel about, is about to say, how many of you consider yourself people this morning? I hope all your hands went up, because if you're not, we got a problem in here. This message is for us. It's for all the people. This, this message is for us. And, and, and here's the message. Catch it, verse 11. For unto you, for you, for me, is born this day in David's city a Savior. A Savior. Now, when someone tells you a Savior is born for you, that should make you think. It should make us pause. It should make us wonder. And the, and the big question that, that we should all have is, why do I need saving? Is that not the question we should be asking at that moment? If, if I tell you a Savior's been born for you, you, the question on your mind should be, why do I need saving? Well, what, what, what's going on here? Why, why? And it implies that there is a need for people to be saved. What it implies is, is that all people need to be saved because it's for all the people. And what it also tells me is this, no matter who you are, no matter what your past has been, no matter what baggage you dragged into church this morning, and let's face it, we all drag baggage into church and we do our best because it's Sunday and it's the Sunday before Christmas, we do our best to hide our baggage from everybody else, don't we? Right? I mean, some of you conceal it in the way that you're dressing, some of you conceal it with a smile, like, how are you doing? Great! Some of you are trying hard to conceal it and you can't, but every single one of us drags our baggage in here this morning. Am I right? Church, am I right? Oh, none of you have baggage, huh? 
Liars. That's one bag you're carrying. <laughs> and here's the baggage that we carry. It's not just the situations that we get ourselves into in this life. And we can get ourselves into some pretty sticky situations, relationships, jobs, things that are going on, money. Money will get you in a circumstance real quick, won't it? Or lack thereof. That's not what we're being saved from. We're being saved from something far more desperate, far more dire than that. Because if, if we're honest, we all need saved from ourselves, right? But we're being saved from something even more than just ourselves. We're being, we're being saved from the curse of sin and its effects. Whether you realize it right, no, right now this morning, your biggest problem that you face right now is not COVID, it's not how you're going to pay for the Christmas presents or whether or not you're going to have Christmas presents for your family, it's not whether you're going to have a job next year. Your biggest problem that you're dealing with right now is the curse of sin. And, and we're all fighting it. We're, we're, all, we're all under its effects. And, and because the Bible tells us this, that we're all sinners. What does that mean that we're all sinners? Well, let me, let me help you to understand this. Because we're all the children of Adam, Adam and Eve, we all are their descendants, right? Because you all admitted to me earlier that you are people, okay? You all, you all trace your roots back to Adam and Eve. And because they sinned, we all inherit their sin nature. But it goes even deeper than that. Because here's something I know about you because I know it to be true about myself. We all enjoy sinning. Some of you are like, no, not me. Be honest with me. We all enjoy sinning. Am I right? It's kind of fun to tell somebody off. It's kind of fun when someone passes you on, on 270 and cuts you off to speed ahead and cut them off. Come on, be honest. We enjoy that. We enjoy venting at people. We enjoy doing something just a little dishonest to, to stick it to the government. We enjoy sinning. You know why? Because we're sinners. And we're good at it. Not only do we enjoy it, we're good at it. And we willingly rebel against Almighty God. That's why we need saved. That's why he had to send his son. And as if that isn't bad enough, the Bible tells us this. The product, the byproduct, if you will, the result of our sin is death. It's death. And so when there's an announcement that a Savior, a Messiah, is being born, this truly is good news of great joy. You see, the Old Testament, you, you ever wonder what that, all that stuff is before you get to the New Testament? All that stuff in the back of your Bible, that just seems so just kind of dry and dusty, and you read it, and it's like, I can't even relate to these people. That was all written to point us to the fact that we all need saving. <laughs> It's all written to, to give us a detailed history of how God even chose a special people named Israel. And you read the Old Testament and his great love for Israel, and yet what does Israel do time and time again? They do exactly what you and I would do. They turn their back on God. They reject God. They say, no, we don't want, we don't want your rule over us. We don't want what you have for us. We want to do it our way. And where does it get them? It gets them in trouble every time, just like it gets you and I in trouble. And so the Old Testament was written to detail our sin problem from the beginning, but it's also full of God's promises that one day he's going to send a Messiah. And so now we come to verse 12, and he says to these shepherds, here's a sign for you, okay? Shepherds are no different than you and I. We're kind of clueless at times. We need help, okay? 
He says, here's how you're going to find this baby. Here's a sign for you. You're going to find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths. That's not really that unusual, but you're going to find this baby lying in a manger. Okay, of all the professions in the world, who do you think would know where all the mangers are? Shepherds, right? He's like, I don't want you to miss this. Go find this baby. Now, that's the kind of verse that we read and we kind of just skip over. That's some great historical detail. But, but I find some hope in here. God wanted these shepherds to find the Christ child so much that he gave them the right information, information that they could use to go and find Jesus. And if he cares enough about shepherds, do you think he cares about you and I to tell us how to get there? And so now we have this one angel turns into, verse 13, this heavenly chorus. Literally there, the idea is multitude upon multitude of angels. If one angel is fearsome, can you imagine what a sky full of angels must be like? And these angels are there praising God. And I want to spend the rest of our time in verse 14. I want to spend the rest of our time here in verse 14. Because you can say a whole lot in one little verse. Did you know that? You can speak volumes in just a little bit. And some of you are like, I wish you would learn that, Pastor Dan, if you would just speak a little bit less. But verse 14, this simple verse, glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is well pleased. This, this verse is full of all the hope that you and I need today. Now, I want to take this verse in three parts, but I don't want to begin with the first part. I want to begin with the middle part. Look, it says, and on earth peace, and on earth peace. Think about it. Do you live on a peaceful earth? How many of you even live in a peaceful home? Don't answer that out loud. That's not something that we're accustomed to is peace. Now, you might think here, being in the United States, we're in relative peace. Talk to a Nigerian and ask them if they're living in peace right now. Talk to somebody who lives in Hong Kong right now with the fear of what's happening there. Ask them if they're living in peace right now. Talk to a person who's of a different political persuasion of you and see how much peace you can find. We don't live in a peaceful world. Longfellow, years ago, wrote, wrote a poem about Christmas Day. I heard the bells of, on Christmas Day. And in that, one of, the, one of the stanzas of that poem is, he said this, In despair I bowed my head. There is no peace on earth, I said, for hate is strong and mocks the song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. Could that have been written like yesterday? Yeah, it could have been. It could be written today. It could be written a year from now. We live in a world that has no peace. But we're not the first world to be that way. In Jesus' day, there was no peace either. When Jesus was born, there was no peace on earth. Literally, Israel was under the boot of Roman authority, and that boot was firmly placed right on the throat of Israel. There was no peace in Israel. In fact, the whole situation, this idea of, of, of Rome saying we're going to tax you again and making people uproot and move and go be registered, that was, you know what, if there had been Twitter during that time, that Twitter would have been great to watch. There's no peace on earth when these angels say it. And so for the angels to announce to these shepherds, and on earth... Peace is a stunning thing because much like the world that we live in today, there is no peace. And let's be honest. Let's be just really honest. If we look 
just with our human eyes at the world around us, there, is there any hope for peace right now? With human eyes, is there any hope for peace? No. No. Secondly, I want you to see that this peace is not for all. Let's look at the last phrase of verse 14. And on earth, peace, and these angels qualify it, among those with whom he is pleased. Among those with whom he is pleased. This peace isn't for all. One of the great lies of Christmas is that we begin to believe that, that peace is for everybody. God never promised peace for everybody. Now, that may rock your world a little bit, but, but let me help you to understand that. God never promised peace for everyone. It says it's peace for those with whom he is well pleased. Okay, when the angels reference the pronoun he, who are they talking about, church? They're talking about God himself, the one who sent them to announce the birth. And what they're saying is, there is the possibility for peace with those with whom God is well pleased. But here's the thing. We just talked about a few minutes ago the fact that we're all sinners. Do you think God can be pleased with any sinner? Can he? No. It's of note that as we go forward in the book of Luke, which we're preaching through here, but as we just go forward even one chapter, in fact, turn in your Bible to chapter 3. I want you to see something. Verse 22. Now, we've only gone one chapter forward in our Bible, but we have gone, we've gone quite a ways forward in Jesus' life. <laughs> okay? We've gone 30 years forward in Jesus' life. And this is Jesus first hitting the public scene, if you will, as an adult. And, and now verse 21, it says, when all the people in chapter 3 were baptized, and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heavens opened, and the Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove, and a voice came from heaven, you are my beloved son, with you I am, what does your Bible say? Does that sound anything like what the angels had said back in chapter 2, peace on earth with those whom he's pleased? Well, we know one person that God was pleased with, and that was with his son, right? We know that God's pleased with his son. He says, you're my beloved son. With you, I'm well pleased. Can you use a little logic here with me this morning? Can you think with me for a second? I think it should be of note to us that peace, then, is focused in a person. Peace is focused in a person, and who is that person? It's the one who God sent, Jesus. Peace is found in a person. Now, some of you have been trying to find peace in a person, and what you have found is that the person that you have selected to give you peace is anything but peaceful. Husbands, don't nod at that. That will just get you in trouble and make you have to buy more Christmas presents. But am I right? We try to find peace in a person. But we shouldn't be surprised that we find peace in Jesus. Way back earlier, Isaiah was prophesying about the birth of Jesus. And in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, he names all these wonderful names of who Jesus is going to be. He says he's the wonderful counselor. He's the mighty God. He's the everlasting father. And he wraps up with this one. He's the prince of peace. Jesus is our peace. Paul, later on, writing about this in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 14, says this, that Christ himself is our peace. 
Christ himself is our peace. You see, peace is not found in a situation. You might think it's peaceful, especially mothers. I think about you a lot about this. You might think it's peaceful to somehow remove your children from you. You like literally get them off your leg and, and, and place them with their father or with a babysitter and just go sit alone away from them in the bathroom. Is that like the most peaceful thing you can think about right now, moms? You might think that's peace. You might think that situation is peace. But here's the one thing I know. They're going to come knocking on the door. Am I right? Repeatedly. And if you don't answer, they're going to start shoving stuff under the door. Peace is not a situation. Peace is not something a doctor can prescribe either. No, no offense to the medical profession, but the best the medical profession can do for you is offer you a couple pills and say, this will make you peaceful. It might knock you out. It might make you loopy. It might make you go kind of half brain dead, but it's not giving you peace. Because when you come out of that state, guess what? Your problems are still there. Am I not right? Peace isn't even a state of mind. Peace isn't even when you're in a stressful situation, just going to your happy place and thinking about being on a beach, toes up, and, and you know, a nice cool drink in your hand, and, and the waves go. Peace isn't in a state of mind. Because here's what happens in those situations. A hurricane comes and ruins it all. Am I right? You know why none of those things are peace? Because none of those things can bring you the one thing that you and I desperately need, and that is peace with God. Only Jesus can bring us peace with God. Peace is Jesus Christ. Peace is knowing that your sins have been forgiven because Christ's righteousness has been placed in the place of your self-righteousness. And let's understand, all of us live our lives thinking that we can do enough good to get God to be at peace with us. And the reality is, none of us can be good enough to get God to be at peace with us. The only way for God to be pleased with a person is if that person is in Christ. The, the only way, the only way for God to be pleased with you is if you are found in Christ. If you are found in yourself before him, there is no peace with him. And it's true that a person has confessed their sins, repented and turned from their sins to receive by faith the salvation that God has purchased for them in Christ when he died on the cross. There is peace in that. Now, I'm not promising you that your kids will leave you alone in the bathroom, moms. I'm not promising you that your relationships are going to be perfect. I'm not promising you that every day is going to feel like you're at the beach or in the mountains in a cabin. What I am promising you is this. If you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, God is no longer against you. He's for you. And that's peace. That's peace. Which implies this. That if you don't have peace... There's no more dire situation than you can be in than to have God not be at peace with you. Do you realize that? There's no safer place to be than to have God at peace with you, but there's no more dire situation than to be in to have God not at peace with you. And it's a mistake. Can I just warn you? It's a mistake to think that you, in and of your own effort and your own self, can make peace with God. I can't tell you the amount of times I've talked with people 
even elderly people who have said this, I will make my peace with God at the right time. (laughs) Here's the thing, you can't make peace with God. God makes peace with you. You have to humble yourself before him. But there's a third part of this verse, and it's the first part. And you actually already sang it this morning in the Latin. <laughs> when you sang, in excelsis Deo, you sang glory to God in the highest. I don't know if you knew that or not, but you did. You, you sang glory to God in the highest in Latin this morning. You can go tell people at Christmas this year, at Christmas parties, I know Latin. <laughs> Only know a few words, but I know Latin. But this is the key point. Glory to God in the highest. The angels understood this when they gave the message. Glory goes to God because the peace comes from Him. Salvation and peace come from God. You take God out of this equation and there is no hope for peace, people. You take God intervening and sending Christ on our behalf to be the Savior of the world. You you take Him out of this. You take the incarnation out of this. You take the birth out of this. You take all this out of this. And there is no hope and there is no peace for us this morning. So, this Christmas, can I challenge you, those of you who have peace with God, to celebrate it the right way? Some point this week, I think it would be wise, those of us who are in Christ, if we just stopped and paused and thanked God for the peace that we have with him because of what Christ has done. And that began with the birth of Christ. That began here on earth with the birth of Christ. I know some people are like, we shouldn't be celebrating Christmas because it's all about Easter. And, and, and I get that. I mean, but here's the thing. Without a birth, we can't have Easter, Right? But here's the thing, if you're not at peace with God, you're worse than Scrooge in A Christmas Carol. You see, the misnomer of A Christmas Carol is this, and this is the message that, and I know I told you I love the story, but there's some air in it too, because, because Scrooge at the end, you know, gets everything right, and he becomes this really nice guy who gives gifts and does all this stuff, and what's implied is, is that everything's good with him now going forward. Here's the problem. Even Scrooge wasn't at peace with God unless he put his trust in Jesus Christ. And if you're not at peace with God, can I beg you to celebrate Christmas by receiving his peace? <laughs> That's the best way to celebrate Christmas is to receive, to receive his peace, to receive Christ as your Savior, to, to, to place your faith in him in a way that produces salvation and turn from trying to earn God's favor to allowing Christ to be your righteousness. So, Merry Christmas. I gave you a Christmas gift. I'm 15 minutes early. Mark it down. This is my Christmas gift to you. You, you. you add up all that time, those 15 minutes. This is hours of time that I've given you this, mo- this morning as a Christmas present. We love you. We want you to celebrate Christmas well this year. Celebrate the peace that Christ has provided for you. Worship team, you got a song for us to end this morning, right?